0: the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. Hey y'all, we're back with our fifth annual episode about what it's like to be grieving during the holidays. If you follow any other grief-related shows or accounts, my guess is you're getting a slew of tips for how to manage this time of year. So, in this episode, we decided to focus more on the lived experience of grieving during the holidays, rather than giving you a collection of suggestions. But if you need those, we do have one tip at the very end, and we also have four other episodes with ideas for how to care for yourself and others in your life during this time of year when grief is in the mix. You can check out episodes 27, 98, 174, and 240. I've got those all listed in the show notes too. Another option for some more concrete suggestions is to attend our webinar that we're hosting next Thursday, December seventh, twenty twenty-three, from ten to eleven thirty a.m. Pacific time. It's called "Navigating Grief During the Holidays," and it will be uh, led by me. So you can sign up for that at our website dougy.org. I asked my colleague Melissa P. Thompson to join me for this episode. While Melissa has tons of professional knowledge to share, she also has many years of personal experience with grief during the holidays, as a kid, as a teen, and as an adult. Her sister died of gun violence when Melissa was six. Her father died in a motorcycle accident when she was 13. And her grandparents, who were a big part of the holidays, died when Melissa was a young adult. As a young kid, it was her parents' grief that shaped how they did the holidays, As a teen, it was her grief that really shifted things, a shift that is still impacting her as an adult. When her grandparents died, Melissa was hit with this sense of, it's just the three of us now, her, her mom, and her brother. Even today, as Melissa's family grows larger with step siblings and a partner who has a huge family, that sense of absence still reverberates. Melissa, thank you for making time to be on Grief Out Loud, especially when today is your day off. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. And listeners, we have a tradition of doing an episode around this time of year focused on the end of your holidays and grief and all that comes with that. And for the past couple of years, it's been my colleague, Rebecca hobbs Lawrence. And to save her having to come tell her story all over again, I invited Melissa to come on this year. And Melissa is also a colleague, so it's kind of exciting to keep up that tradition. Melissa, can you tell us a little bit about what your role is at the Dougie Center and what your connection is to the organization?
1: Yeah, absolutely. At Dougie Center, I am a grief services coordinator. And essentially what that means is I run some of our peer groups um, that we have and specifically our bereavement groups for after a death. Right now I'm running six groups and I have kids and teen groups. And then in addition to that, I just do some other little things here and there.
0: (laughs) And you also have a bit of a personal connection to Dougie Center uh, prior to becoming a staff member, right?
1: Yes. Um, So (laughs) I don't know why this is like a funny story to me. So my, my dad died when I was 13. And um, shortly after my 14th birthday, or maybe right before I was 14, my mom took my brother and I to Dougie Center. She had a bunch of people in her life being like, you need to go here. And my brother, was just a year younger than me. And so my mom took my brother and I to an orientation. It was actually at the Gleason house. So very shortly um, after the fire, cause my dad died in 2009 of June. I was maybe a little bit of an angsty teen. And I remember being like, nope, not for me. And my brother, my mom came for a while. I don't think they stayed at Dougie Center very long, but I want to say they were there for maybe like three or four months. And my brother was in a middler's group. And I'm pretty sure he was a middler's group on a Wednesday night, which is now the group that I run, (laughs) which is kind of, funny and then yeah i want to say it was 14 years later i ended up on
0: staff at dougie center and don't want to leave (laughs) well and just to date myself listeners if melissa came to an orientation in 2009 at which you mentioned uh the gleason street location that was our temporary location when our main building burned in an arson fire i definitely ran that that orientation so i'm pretty sure i interfaced with your angsty teen self back in the day it's, it's a full circle moment. <laughs> so uh, I know you mentioned that your dad died when you were 13, and you've had a few other folks in your family die as well. So today, in this moment, who would you like to bring into the space with us? Who would you like to talk about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So definitely my dad. You know, my dad, he died in a motorcycle accident, like I said, when I was 13, um, but before my dad had died, I was six years old when my sister had died of gun violence. And she was 16 at the time of her death. For just a little bit of context, my my sister biologically is my half-sister. You, you know, when I think about the holidays, I also do think about my maternal grandparents a little bit. So I might bring them into that space occasionally, and that would just be, I call them mama and papa. <laughs> They're just my my grandma and my grandfather. <laughs>
0: going back to when you were six, and the holidays. And when I say holidays, I'm really talking about the end of calendar year holidays, uh, the more commonplace ones that happen in November, December and early January. Melissa, what do you remember about being six and your sister having died, and how that impacted your experience, which in a sense was most likely the experience of watching your parents experience?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I feel like I need to give just a little bit of context. So I didn't know my sister died of gun violence until after my dad died. And I remember like laying in bed with my mom one day and I just like deep down kind of knew that what I was told as a kid, like wasn't true. Um, And I asked my mom and she had finally told me like the real story of like what happened. I didn't have that as a kid, like knowing like what really happened. Um, I kind of understood what they said is like, she got into like a car accident. (laughs) And I could see maybe how I process that now knowing the story, but that's, that's not what happened. Um, And my sister only lived with my family and I for about one and a half to two years during my life. And when she had died, um, she was no longer living with us. So I would say I was maybe like four or five when she was living with us. And I feel like I don't remember a lot of that time. But what I do remember overall is I remember used, like I used to think my dad was really lazy when I was little. And I but but like with the older I got, I started kind of like putting the timeline together. And what I really think was happening is that my dad was grieving. And We just, we didn't talk about my sister a lot. Um, I don't have a lot of memories of her. You know, what I saw from my parents, I didn't understand as grief, you know, being a six-year-old. And especially during the holidays, my dad had such a big personality. Um, And if anything, you know, I think what he did is really... I I think it really impacted like how much he wanted to make sure he was there for my brother and I, since he wasn't able to be a part of my older sister, his daughter's life as much as I know he would have liked to, and then having that time cut short from her dying as well. Um, So I, I remember being very spoiled when I was little, lots of gifts and- I actually think that was a reflection, though, of my parents like wanting to give my brother and I everything they could give us, knowing that they couldn't give that to my sister. And even though my sister wasn't my mom's biological daughter, my mom and her very much had a mother-daughter relationship. So that's just the little bit that I remember from that.
0: I'm wondering what other memories do you have as you were older of your dad around the holidays? Like, What was his role? I mean, my dad was just like the personality,
1: (laughs) I would say he was big and bold. Um, I'm sure that it was my mom who did the majority of the shopping. And, you know, I remember my mom, she like was, we always had, you know, we were either going to my grandparents' house or my grandparents were coming up for the holidays Um, So there was always like lots of cleaning involved on her end, but my dad, he was just like, he's kind of the life of the party kind of person. So I remember like during the holidays when we got older, he, he was just loud and he was bold and he was so excited for us to open every gift. And my parents, like literally, it was like only one person could open a gift at a time because like. You know, they wanted to see what everybody got and like be a part of that. And when I was in middle school, my dad got a video camera at some point, and then he started videotaping everything, including Christmas. And yeah, I remember he was just so excited to, him and my mom both were just so excited to like watch my brother and I like open our gifts and see the excitement on our faces and all of that. So just, very bold as I got older and just a big part of it. And I remember to our last Christmas together, actually he got this, we saw in a restaurant one time that there was like a Christmas tree hung upside down. So the next year my dad like hung a Christmas tree in our house upside down. So he was, he was always really creative just in, not just around the holidays, but definitely saw it come out sometimes, you know,
0: in those ways too. Your dad died in June, and so by the time the winter holidays rolled around, you were about 6 months into grieving for him. How did the holidays change and like what do you remember if anything about that first year?
1: Yeah, so there's a small chance that I have this timeline wrong, but I am 99.9% sure that my first um specifically Christmas without my dad that um my mom unintentionally had like a boyfriend so so my mom ended up dating somebody fairly soon after uh, my dad had died and my parents were together um when he had died and it you know just some things happen and i think that we all look back and we're like how the heck did that happen So, yeah, my first Christmas without my dad, um, my mom's boyfriend at the time was with us, and it was at my grandparents' house, which the part about being at my grandparents' house wasn't uncommon. We often, like, took turns, like, them hosting, and then we would host and kind of, like, flip-flopped that, but he was there. (laughs) I wasn't a fan of him at all. My My brother and him got along really well. But I just, I remember he got me like a cool gift, (laughs) like a nice pair of shoes. And I was, you know, appreciative of that. But like, I never, never wanted him around. And it seemed like all of a sudden he
0: was. Listening to you, Melissa, I'm picturing that like sometimes when something arrives and it's certainly not replacing what's no longer there, but when something arrives, it can sometimes be harder to see all the ways that what's not there is not there when there's something else in the way.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I hear that because, you know, I definitely felt like when he was around, it almost really did feel like actually like my dad's existence was then just like pushed away. And, you know, I not everybody's that way, but I definitely think it had to do with who he was and his character. And, you know, some of those things came out later and he's not in our lives anymore. And, um, only stuck around for about a year too long. If you ask me, <laughs> you know, it definitely was hard to really think about what having a first Christmas meant for my family without my dad there and my mom, she, she definitely was, like, the breadwinner in the household. So she, like, in terms of what I know often can happen for families is, like, this large financial shift, we didn't have that. So in terms of, like, Christmas looking different for, like, the amount of stuff or the things that we did, that didn't change. But it never, ever, ever felt the same still.
0: Looking back, Melissa – What's your sense about your teenage and young adult self, like having this place of reflection on it? Like, what was your take on the holidays then? And how do you feel about the holidays now?
1: I was actually talking to my mom about this recently. Um, I think the best way to describe it is Grinchy. I was thinking about that more recently, too. And I was like, you know, but at the end of like the Grinch, like his heart gets three times bigger and all of that you know so maybe there's some hope that it won't always be that way yeah it just i i i don't think i have a word to describe the change and the shift um but definitely like i remember being younger after my dad died and just like kind of wondering if like the holidays were still worth it you know like i was very fortunate to have a family that could, um, be together on the holidays and we had presents under the tree, but that just never felt like enough after my dad died. And like when I was right, like little, like that's all it was about. It was only about the <laughs> presence under the tree and things like that. And then as I've gotten older, I think I still have like a lot of those same feelings, but there's like been a slight shift. I'm trying (laughs) to be a little bit more grateful that I can spend the holidays still with family. Now that looks a lot different. It actually looks a lot bigger, maybe a little bit more chaotic, (laughs) but like, I just, I just know, like at the end of the day, my dad was the person that loved it the most so i yeah i think i'm trying to shift my mindset to have some of that
0: same appreciation that he did so in a sense you've you've moved from that place of you know this absence of my dad is making me not want to engage in this holiday at all to what are some ways i might be able to honor my dad by shifting my approach to the holidays
1: yeah absolutely you know like he loved christmas for some reason so so much and trying to take that in a little bit. Explore what that means for me, even if it's not the same thing that it meant for him.
0: Let's just get really tangible for a moment. And I think about how this time of year, in late November, early December, although actually it really kind of starts in late September, early October, there's just a lot of visual, audio cues that the holidays are coming, right? You might walk into a store and see a display or you log on your email and you get a bunch of advertisements. How does that impact you when you start to see some of those cues that holiday season is uh, making its approach?
1: Yeah, I now like own a home. <laughs> and so sometimes I'm like, "Ooh, yay, like, what Christmas decorations or little wintry cute things do I want to like Put in my home to like make it feel comfortable and for me. So (laughs) that's definitely like a different shift (laughs) in terms of like that stuff. There's like a little bit more excitement with that. I don't know if when I walk into the stores that I think so much about like what's missing or what this time of year means. I think I think about it the most when I'm like starting to plan with my family of like what we're doing. And when I'm like a very visual person, so I feel like I like imagine everything, you know, vividly before it happens. And it it just like when I think about Christmas, I just it just feels like there's this large absence when I'm with my family.
0: So for you, just that idea that spending time together is really the heart of the holidays for you now and how when you come together, that's when you can really notice The people who aren't there and the people you aren't able to make plans with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How did that shift again for you when your grandparents died? It just, I I
1: mean, I remember like I used to have these like traditions with my grandma. And those traditions stopped even before she died. Um, She had Parkinson's dementia. It was years and years before her death that she physically and mentally was like unable to like do the same things that we used to. I think, like leading up to before they died, there was already kind of that grief there. It also shifted because it was really hard for my grandparents to travel anymore. We also like weren't always with them for the holidays anymore, even before they died. And so I just, it just feels like, just sucks. It just sucks. That's what it is. That's that's what I'm trying to get at. That. Um, There's just this additional shift of what felt like was, you know, my immediate family was like dwindled down to three. And even though I have a lot more people in my family now, I still often think about it in terms of it's just the three of us. And I'm trying to shift that a little bit. <laughs> like that's always a little bit like deep down in my core.
0: Is that sense of it, it's just the three of us now? Is that connected to a sense of loneliness for you?
1: Um, No, not necessarily. Because like I said, you know, really there are like a lot more people like in our family now. So my mom's married. I have a stepbrother. My older stepbrother and my brother are married. They have kids. I'm married and have a partner. And my partner has a lot of family on his side. So it doesn't feel lonely, but I... And I know like, right, being physically alone and lonely aren't always the same things. I think that I've been fortunate enough to have like still a lot of like love surrounded from us. But, you know, if I just think about from like where we started versus where we are now, those people that died left huge spaces. It feels like... It really is an empty space that should be there. I don't know how to describe it. (laughs) It's almost like if, you know, we were going to take a family picture, even though there could be 20 of us in a photo, it still feels like there's people missing.
0: That's such a good way of describing how, you know, we don't replace people. Even if our life becomes full, number-wise with people or full of love and connection, there's still those vacancies, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You mentioned there were a lot of traditions that you had with your grandmother that you had to say goodbye to even before she died because of her illnesses. Is there one particular tradition that you're thinking about that the two of you used to do together at this time of year?
1: I and I've actually tried to start doing this just kind of around this time of year in general again. Um my mama had this amazing recipe for sausage rolls. I don't know if that's really what they're called. um, Essentially, it really is just like sausage and a pastry dough. If she always made them for like events or holidays, and I would always help her. And I don't have her recipe, but I've done my best now to try to like recreate it to the best of my ability. It's just, it's fun making it because I'm thinking of her when I do it. So even if they don't turn out the same. And I mean, I'm vegan now, so I really don't make it the same. (laughs) But yeah, I just remember being in the kitchen with her and taking the time to do that was always fun.
0: (laughs) This is kind of a weird question, but given how family focused so many holidays are, not just the winter holidays, and you know, when there's people in our families who have died or people in our chosen family or our friend group have died and there are those vacancies that we talked about. Have you found yourself particularly enjoying a different time of the year more?
1: Yes. Oddly enough, like, and if I'm going to like pinpoint like a specific holiday, it's St. Patrick's Day and that there is just like no expectation for St. Patrick's Day. You know what I mean? I, it's just, it's just been my thing. I'm just like, I look forward to St. Patrick's day. Cause there's, there's no expectation, you know, I don't, I don't do anything for it, <laughs> but it's kind of what I like about it <laughs> is that I don't have to do anything. And I know some people, you know, St. Patrick's day means a lot of different things for people in other places or what they do for it, but I literally do nothing and it's great. And I sit at home and that's my plan. And like, I'll put something green on, <laughs> and it's simple, and I love it. And that's it. <laughs> I,
0: I love that you found a holiday you can look forward to because one, you don't have to do anything, two, there's no expectation, and there's not really this push to come together as a family or anything like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, me and St. Patrick's Day,
0: that's, that's where it's at. <laughs> since you have a number of years of experience navigating the holiday time without your dad and now without your grandparents, do you have, you know, I hate to say the word like suggestion or tips, but that's kind of what I'm going for here. Do you have anything that you would want to say to people who are listening that when it's maybe their first holiday season or their second or even their 10th since their person died, is there anything you'd want to share with them? I think one thing that
1: I had struggled with is that, um kind of this like weird like well is it supposed to feel the same is it not supposed to feel the same like what are these things supposed to mean now it's one of those things that i think it's gonna sound easier than it is you know is trying to find like the small thing that is maybe still good Or enjoyable, I don't think I want to use the word good. I would say enjoyable. Man, that is so hard because I got to be honest, like when I was like a teenager, I was like, I don't think anything at that time. I really was like, this is great. (laughs) Um, But as I've gotten a little bit older, you know, like the fact that I still have the opportunity to see my family on the holidays. I try to create some gratitude for that. I also (laughs) just think it's okay to like the whole cliche, right? Like it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay that it doesn't feel the same. It sucks, but it, it doesn't have to feel the same. And you don't have to try to make it better either. Like it's okay to just let it be what it is. And if you need to, if you're able to find those moments of joy, appreciate them when they're there. It's like the only thing I can really think of.
0: Not really a great suggestion. (laughs) But I think that speaks to the reality of grief that there's no magic fix for it. There's no quick remedy to get around it. There's just figuring out a way to be with it in the context that we're in. And so finding those moments, even if it's just a tiny moment that you can grab onto and have that sense of, okay, this doesn't feel totally horrible. Maybe it doesn't feel great, but it doesn't feel horrible, at least for right now. And using those moments as a way to go from this moment to the next moment to the next. Yeah, yeah, trying. (laughs) Well, Melissa, thank you again for taking time on your day off to come and talk with me about this end of year holiday time and grief and the mix of all of it I'm really grateful for your willingness to share your personal experience and also some suggestions for our listeners thank you
1: yeah thanks for having me it was fun
0: (laughs) and listeners you know I say it each and every single time but thank you for being part of the community for making this show mean something anything to those of us who are part of it so if you'd like to reach out to me, you can email me directly at griefoutloud at Dougie.org. That's D-O-U-G-Y.org. It's also our main website where you can find information about our local programming. You can search for programs similar to ours in your home community. And you can find a whole bunch of free downloadable resources, including tip sheets and activity sheets, and each and every episode of Grief Out Loud. I'm excited as always to share that this podcast is sponsored in part by the Chester Stefan Endowment Fund. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time.